you're joining us um, for the first time, we've been talking about biblical community and what it means to pursue biblical community. We've titled it Better Together. Let me start off by, let me start off by telling you why I think we struggle with this. First and foremost, and maybe this is something you never thought about. I hadn't really thought about this angle until I, somebody sent this to me. I think one reason why we struggle with biblical community is because we take it for granted. We take this for granted. We take this for granted. I know we're Americans. We're sitting Sunday morning at 1030 with our coffee, leisurely walking in. But if you were to travel outside these borders, something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, that just struck me to the core this week, man. Here's what he says. By the way, anything written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you should read it. He, of course, was a German pastor theologian who was murdered, executed by Hitler and his Nazi regime for his opposition to it. Here's what he says about community. You ready? Mind you, he's in prison. It is by the grace of God that a congregation is permitted to gather visibly in this world to share God's word and sacrament. Not all Christians receive this blessing. The imprisoned, the sick, the scattered lonely, the proclaimers of the gospel in the heathen lands, parts of India, parts of Africa, parts of Asia, Many parts all over the world, they stand alone. They know that visible fellowship is a blessing. They remember, as the psalmist did, how they went with the multitudes to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with the multitude that kept holy day, Psalm 42, 2. Therefore, Bonhoeffer says, let him who until now has had the privilege of living in common Christian life with other Christians praise God's grace from the bottom of his heart. Anybody say amen to that? He's saying for anybody who just gets up Sunday morning like, nope, I think I'm going to show up to church, worship service. He's like, you realize that that is a blessing, a grace blessing. Let him thank God on his knees and declare, it is grace and nothing but grace that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brethren. I... I mean, it's huge. Do, do you understand what he's saying? Anybody? It's, it's powerful for me to recognize that this thing in America, individualistic Western culture, whatever, you, this thing that we so struggle with and ah, I don't want it, I kind of, you know, or it's consumeristic, it's about me. There are parts of the world where people are like, if I only had the privilege that you do, if I only had even just a choice, Another reason I think we struggle with this, moving on, is, is, is what I've been, you know, saying. It's like beating a dead horse. We live in a very individualistic Western society. Now, here's the interesting thing. You ready? What's interesting is in this sermon series, I've had other folks who, are, who weren't born and raised here. I've had folks from Kenya. I've had folks from China who are culturally not individualistic come up and go, all the stuff you're talking about makes total sense to me. Hey, you know, the stuff you're talking about, how we're not a product of our own decisions. We're much more formed by community, family relationships. That's me. That's, that's my story. So the thought that, like, I'm who I am because of individual decisions, so on and so forth, there are folks in our culture, in our culture, who don't recognize that this isn't how everybody thinks. Matter of fact, even people in our culture, social scientists will tell you that we are much more profoundly shaped by relationships and other people than we are by our own rationality and our own thinking. We are very much profoundly shaped by family and relationships. We are very much, think about our values in this country. The values that we have are so much more shaped by people that we admire, people that admire us, people that we like, and people that like us. Core fundamental beliefs are literally just instilled within people by these relationships. So much so that as an adult, 
they just take it for granted that it's just, this is what, a, this is truth. And yet, when you think and you look, think of profound relationships are. Tad bit of a humorous, maybe, you know, maybe not so humorous for some of us. No. How many of us grew up going, I will never be like my dad. I will never be like my mom. And yet here we are. We are just like our dad. We are just like our mom. That's the way my wife kind of jabs me, though, by the way. You know, my wife just goes, you're just like your mother. And she doesn't say it lovingly. <laughs> you're just like your mother. If you knew my mom, you'd be like, holy cow. I am. I am. And all to my 20s, I live with the illusion. I will never be like her. And here I am, 45 years old. I am just like my mother. Do you realize how profoundly you are shaped? So, which brings up a question. So, who is shaping you? What relationships do you just take for granted just around that, that, that? Who is shaping you? Yourself? Third, third reason why we struggle with this. And, and, and I, I just need to spend just, oh, just a few minutes here because, good Lord, like I could talk about this third thing like every single Sunday. And for some of us, we would still push back and have our time. And that is this. There's a theological reason why we struggle with this. And that is how we view salvation. Salvation for so many of us is individual. Salvation for so many of us is personal, private. Salvation. And yet when you look in the Bible, salvation is not just personal. Salvation actually has a history. To, what do I mean? Go back to the very beginning. When God creates humanity, here's, here's how he intended the world. He intended that you and I would live in right relationship with him, that we would center our lives around him and build our lives around him and serve him. And then also he created us to live in right relationship with each other. That's all there in Genesis. And then he also created us to care for the world. When we decided to come out from the rule and reign of God, when we decided, I don't want to center and build my life around God, I'm going to do my own thing. You need to know, when sin entered the world, it didn't just affect our relationship with God. It affected every relationship. Do you get that? Do you get that? It unraveled everything. Do you get that? That's why not only are we alienated from God, but also nations are at war. Nations strife, violence, races, classes, ethnicities, even in this country. Even in our own family, relate, do, do you sometimes wonder, why, is it, why are relationships so hard? Even when you work at it, work at it, work at it, why is it so hard? Do you ever wonder? The simple reason is, and it's hard, but the simple reason is if there's going to be a solar system, you could only have one center. If every planet wants to be the center, you don't have a solar system, you have a solar collision. And so many of our relationships in this country, in our culture, in us is me, my needs, my desire, self-absorption. Here's what I... And so community that we long for and need is so difficult. So what does God do? God doesn't just leave us in this. This is the Bible. This is Genesis to Revelation, okay? Here it is in one minute. God doesn't leave us. What does he do? He shows up to a guy named Abraham and he says, listen, I want to, I want to use your family to create a new family, a reconstituted human family that will display to the world how to be rightly related to me and how to be rightly related to each other, the thing that I intended from the very beginning. And in order to do that, God intervenes in a pretty dramatic way. He has to bring a baby out of a 90-year-old woman. That's pretty dramatic. A couple here hundred years later, a couple hundred years later, he shows up. Now this time on Mount Sinai. He's standing in front of Moses. And he says, Moses, you know that plan that I had to Abraham to constitute a new human family? through it? Now, I'm going to broaden that. Not just a family, but a society. A whole nation of you. So I am choosing your nation. And you're going to do what I intended from the very beginning. Which is you are going to show the world how to properly relate to me. And how to properly relate to each other. A community of peace, justice, and love. What I intended from the very beginning. And he has to intervene in a pretty dramatic way. Why? There's a whole nation of people that are in slavery. Not just, not just from sin and death, but from political and economic oppression. So he delivers them. And then the whole Old Testament, this is a whole, whole Old Testament is God going, my plan is still in place. My still place is in place. I am about gathering a community of people that will show the world how to relate to me, how to relate to each other. Of course, Israel fails miserably. 
And the whole Old Testament is the Bible going, there's a, there's, a, there's a better Abraham coming. There's a better Moses coming. There's a better Israel coming. And then, of course, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus, God intervenes in the most powerful way in the form of Jesus. He becomes a human being. He dies on the cross, rises again. And the same Jesus is standing on the top of a mountain. This time, he is giving a sermon called Sermon on the Mount which, by the way, is a reapplication of the Ten Commandments on Sinai. And he's looking at his 12 disciples, and the words out of his mouth are, you are now to be a city on a hill. Are you tracking with me? You are, and all the believers after you, will continue this plan I from the very get-go to Abraham, family, Moses, nation. You are going to be this radically alternate city. <laughs> Do you realize what a mission statement is? Sometimes, sometimes I go, what was I thinking? What was I thinking, thinking that this was even, oh, it is possible. God says, you are, Jesus says, you are going to be a city within a city. You are finally going to be this human community. And he literally says, a new community of people that will show the world how to properly relate to God as king and Lord and how to properly relate to each other in peace, justice, and love. Then, then, fast forward. You get to the very end. Revelation 21, a new heavens and a new earth. In other words, the end of all this, the end of all this is you and I not in heaven floating around with heart music playing in the background. The end of all this is a concrete new heaven, concrete new earth coming down to earth where people are in right relationship with God, where we are known by him and we know him completely and all the nations have experienced healing. So do you know what that means? 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 Do you know what our mission is, what your mission is? Do you know what we're called to do? God says, if that's the end, what you're called to do right now is you are to give a foretaste of that now. You are to be a mini version of that perfect community now. You are to be a signpost to what I am doing now. That's our mission. You are to show the world what happens when you rightly relate to me. And you are to show the world the healing of the nations is coming. Now, that's our mission. Can I ask you a question? Can you be a city by yourself? For those of y'all that are still thinking like, I don't know, can I be a city? The answer is no. It's not that hard. You can't be a city by yourself. Think about how profound and simple this is. You can't be a city. Can you be a family by yourself? I mean, there are all kinds of analogies the Bible uses where it's going out of its way to say an individualistic solo Christian life is foreign to the Bible. You can't see it in the Bible. So this whole me and God, personal, individual, I don't need people, I don't need the church, that's what God's going, that's not Christianity. You made something up. That is not, that's not my opinion. That's Genesis to Revelation. I could talk about this every week, and some of you are sort of like, but what about my salvation? I thought it was all about me getting forgiven of my sin salvation. Yes, that's a part of it, okay? I don't want to downplay that. That's a big part of it. But when God calls you and summons you into a relationship with him, automatically God calls you and summons you into community with others where together you display what God intended. So many of us are so individualistic, even when we think of witness, being a testimony of Jesus. We can't think outside of individual, me, my life, my personal life. The entirety, the majority of the New Testament is you don't witness by yourself. You witness together as a community. There is nothing more countercultural in the church in America today than how we do community. There is nothing more countercultural in the church today than how we practice community. There's nothing more countercultural in this individualistic alone, even within Christian circles of me and my personal. There's nothing that would be more radical than a group of Christians who together are saying, we witness the gospel. 
You see why this is so like hard for us to. The Bible says that, that the, God, the, the extent of God's work in your life, and I'll talk about this a couple more weeks, the extent of God's supernatural work in your life, it doesn't happen alone. It happens in community. What do I mean? Let me just, give me just like two more minutes on this. I need to move on. You know, there are a lot of people who come to our church and go, I've been changed by a new community. I've been changed. And some people genuinely have. And that others, you haven't changed. You still have the same besetting sins. You struggle with the same things. And you haven't really changed. And here's the reason why. A lot of people go, I've been changed by a new community. But what they don't realize is that they feel better when they're here, but they haven't actually changed. What do I mean? It's one thing to feel inspired, but it's another thing to get the things that you're inspired by and then practice it and live it in your life and community. Word transformation. Does, does it make sense? You don't just get inspired. I'm changing. You're not changing being by being. It's, you're changing when you get inspired. You take that and you get in community and you go, this is what Christian practices, disciplines. This is how I do it. I, I, I mean, I said this before. There are over 59 one another statements in the Bible this is reading the Bible. One another, strengthen one another. Help one another. Encourage one another. Care for one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. Build trust with one another. Be devoted to one another. Confess to one another. Admonish one another. Spur one another. Be compassionate. Carry one another. I've read like 10 of them. There's like 50 more. Can I ask you something? Can you do that? Can you do that on a Sunday morning in an hour and a half? This isn't to downplay our corporate gathering. This is huge. This has been the front door for many of you to reconnect with Jesus and community. So this is an important critical part of living the larger Christian life. But let me ask you something. Can you do these things just by being inspired? No. The only way you can do this is when you get into a group of people and you rub elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder, and you actually do life on life. And it's in that that life transformation happens. I don't... Boy, this is so challenging for me. Can I just ask, is this challenging for you too? Say yes if it is. Dot, yeah? Why is this so challenging? We're afraid. Inconvenient. Speaking truth right there. We're proud. By the way, if you're new to our church, this is how real we get, okay? It's amazing. Self-sufficient. Well, why else? Why is it so hard? Hard to be vulnerable? Insecurity? Why else? Intimacy? Uh, do you see why we need Jesus to do this? Good Lord. We can't do this without Jesus. There's no way you'll be vulnerable unless the gospel and Jesus is real to you. There's no way you'll be transparent. There's no way you won't be afraid. There's no way your arrogance and pride, independence will be leveled without the gospel. We could go on and on. That's why we can't help but talk about Jesus. Today, and we need to move on. Today and next week, we're going to talk about Christian hospitality. <laughs> Man, you thought this was hard now. Romans 12, 13, we were going through Romans 12, in case you weren't here last week, where Paul literally says, among other things, about what it means to be a family of God, practice hospitality. Hospitality. You know what? I was intending to do this, but since Carlton started it, we've been doing this whole, like, hey, you talk back to me and I talk to you. What do you think of when you think hospitality? Give me a word. Hospitality. <laughs> Hotels and what? Food. Laughter. Living room. Love of strangers. Who said that? You just preached my sermon. <laughs> Thank you. Are you new? <laughs> called her out. We just fly. called you out. You're visiting. What's your name, ma'am? What's your name? Nice to, nice to meet you. Okay. Okay. Do you want to come up and preach? Yeah. 
Turn your Bibles to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. Come on, come on. This is part two, and uh, oh, parts one and two. This is part one of part two. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go ahead and, and, and dig into biblical hospitality, and, 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 and it's so challenging, and it's so huge, you guys. One thing real quick you got to know is this. Does anybody know who the book of Hebrews is written to? The book of Hebrews is written to a group of people who are going through enormous persecution, enormous suffering. Read the book of Hebrews, and you're written to a group of people that are just going through enormous suffering and persecution. And we come to this place, a couple places in the critical book of Hebrews where he talks about community. The message of Hebrews in this section is simple. That is this. You cannot, you cannot end your life without community. You cannot go through what you're doing without community. You cannot. You cannot. Simple message. You just can't do it. You cannot endure suffering, trial, tribulation. You can't go to hardships that will inevitably fall on you unless you do it in community. And then he says this, verse 1. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And this right here is huge. He's sitting there going, well, I don't, I don't see much there. Let's just dig in and we'll see how much is there. When you think of a really close-knit, tight, uh, uh, biblical community, when you think of a group of Christians who are really close and really tight, do you notice how sometimes, not all times, they're not very open. They're not very hospitable. You get a group of Christians that are real close, real tight. There's strong accountability, and they love each other. And for some reason, those groups don't tend to do this being open to outsiders, being open to those who don't believe, being open to what we'll see strangers. Here's what I hear a lot. I just want to pick on you for a little bit, some of you. I hear some people go, you know, I miss my home church. I miss my church a lot. I miss the church I grew up in. Man, it's, it's just so hard to get to know people here at New Community. It's just so hard. This church is so big. By the way, I laugh at that. When people go, this church is so big, I go, wow. And I recognize that many of us came from small churches, but people say that. They go, and then sometimes I want to go, oh, you miss your home church because you're a tight community, so you grew up there, which means you were there for like years. So community took I don't do that. I just basically go, so, so you mean you miss your home church because you do, you grew up there. You, and I go, community's been hard? Yeah, it's been hard. How long have you been around? Oh, I've been around for two years. And I go, wow. You know, part of me actually, <laughs> there's someone smiling. Part of me goes, if you're around two years and the community's hard, there are people who've been around 10, and it's still hard. But then they would totally, utterly destroy them. So I don't say that to them. But you realize that your home church, church you grew up in, community didn't happen like that. Do you realize I took a long time with those people? A long time. A long time. Secondly, secondly, when people, when people say that, I push back and I go, was your church, home church, like very open and, uh, and, and hospitable to outsiders and visitors and guests? They're like, no, not really. Why? Well, you know, when you're part of a church and you've been a part of the group for a while, you just get really comfortable and you take for granted. And you no longer start looking around going, who's new? Who's visiting? Who's feeling lonely? Who's feeling confused? You basically show up and go, hey, how's it going? I haven't seen you. And you basically just literally stop looking to go, who is in that place that I was in when I first walked in? See, this is one of the biggest things that burdens me about new community. Is sometimes when I see, I'll, this is what I see. I see a group of four or five people. Hey, how's it going? How was your week? Da, 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 da. And then another group of four or five. Hey, how's it going? Da, 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 da. And I understand, like, I haven't seen you in a week and community's hard and we got this tight group right here. But then I go, what if every person in our church go, this is my community, my group, and I no longer subconsciously even stop looking to see who's alone? What would happen if you weren't taken in? The first time you walked in. But then there's this other thing, right? Where there are communities that are very open. Maybe the opposite of what I just described. And then what, here's what I meant. There are no standards. There's no expectations. 
no accountability. People could come and go as you wish. There are churches that are mine. They don't mind. They're like, yeah, you come and go as you wish. And oftentimes in all the communities, there's no talk about commitment and sacrifice. It's all about meeting my needs. But you know what the Bible says? You ready? Brace yourself. Put your seatbelts on. You ready? You know what the Bible says right here? He says a biblical community is one that is both incredibly intimate and incredibly open to outsiders at the same time. A radically hospitable biblical community is one in which brothers and sisters are accountable, deep. We sacrifice. We carry each other's burdens. We are there for each other. And it is incredibly tight. But at the same time, and we'll see how radical this is, it is incredibly open, incredibly hospitable, incredibly welcoming of those who are not part of that. Where do you get this from, Peter? Verse 1, it doesn't come out in English, but for Greek, verse 1 says, work at Philadelphia. Remember what we talked about Philadelphia, love of brothers, love of sisters. Verse 2 says, work at Zelophenia, Philozenia. Work at Philadelphia, love of brothers, love of sisters. And verse 2, boom, work at Philozenia. What is Philozenia? Philo's love of, Xenia, literally in Greek meant stranger, outsider. It includes immigrants, refugees. It includes people of other nations. But you know what else includes? When the Bible says strangers, do you know what else includes? Listen to me. Do you know what else includes? It includes people who don't believe what we believe yet. It includes people who have a radically different value system from us. It includes people who are different from us racially, ethnically, culturally. It includes everybody. And we do this in our minds who we would consider the other. And the author of Hebrews, you want to be, be a biblical community in which God is at work? Work at Philadelphia. Love your brothers and your sisters. And then turn around and go, work at Philozenia. By the way, do you realize we get the word xenophobia? Fear of strangers and foreigners in our English language from this. A radically biblical community. Please listen very carefully to the next few sentences I'm about to say. A radically biblical community. It's one in which the author of Hebrews says, you work like crazy at loving your brothers and sisters. You work like crazy at loving the insiders. You work at crazy like loving people who have the same belief system, people you know, people like you. And then verse 2, and then verse 2 turns right around and it says, and without compromising your convictions, and without diluting the gospel. Did you hear what I just said? Verse 2 says, without compromising your convictions, without diluting the gospel, you work just as hard and just as much at loving those who are strangers among you. That is a biblical community. Why all so quiet? Taking it in? Is this us? Is this us? Is this you? Is this me? We are just as good at close intimacy with our brothers and sisters. We're going deep. Philadelphia, we do that well here. But just the same, without compromise, without wavering, we are just as good at philozenia, love of strangers, love of strangers, people unlike us, people different from us, people who don't share the same value system. A radically hospitable community. A radically hospitable community of intimacy and openness. Love for the insiders as well as the outsiders at the same time. It's not one or the other. It's both uncompromising, unwavering. And can I just say something? The trouble is, vast majority of us lean towards one or the other. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need each other. 
Some of us are just naturally gifted at Philadelphia, loving other Christians, loving other brothers and sisters, and going deep. And we really struggle. You know who you are. I know who I am. We really struggle at being hospitable to people unlike us, religiously, unlike us value system. And then some of us are wonderful at that and frankly can't stand other Christians. Can I get an amen from those of you? Did you look who they were? Okay. Because you got to love them too. You guys, you guys, is this us? I'm serious. Is this us? Are we, when people think of the community, they go, they are incredibly committed to each other. Oh my gosh, they love each other, brothers and sisters. They would die for each other. But you know what else about that community? They are unbelievably unconditional loving, without compromising, without settling their convictions to people who disagree with them. If we were like that, we would truly be a countercultural community. Do you struggle with this? I do. I do. Philozenia, Philozenia had a very pra- um, guest, Miss Lady. How am I doing so far? Am I doing okay? Thumbs up. Okay, I got a thumbs up from her. Okay, she does this for a living, so I'm going to keep going. Philozenia. Robin, thank you. I'm terrible with names, Robin. Philozenia had a very specific practical meaning. Very practical meaning. And it literally meant to bring them into your homes as guests. Bring your home as guests. And then I love this part, you guys. It says, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Does anyone know what that refers to? Genesis 18. Do you remember? Genesis 18. Abraham is hospitable to three strangers. He gives them food and cares for them. And you realize afterwards they were who? They were, they were the Lord and his angels. And the author of Hebrews, this is just crazy, has the audacity to go, do you realize that when you are, when you are entertaining people that you think are strangers, you might be entertaining angels and God himself? Well, what does that look like, Peter? What does that mean? One of my favorite, favorite, favorite scholars is a guy named Bill Lane, William Lane wrote a commentary on the book of Hebrews. And I'm going to put this quote up here because sometimes it helps me to just see it. Not just, he says, for Christians, the expectation is that God will play a significant role in the ordinary exchange between guests and hosts. This expectation leads to hospitality, a sacramental quality. <laughs> I know Pastor Michael, I thought of I'm like, this will resonate with you. What's the sacrament? What's the sacrament? You know what a sacrament is, right? Lord's Supper, baptism. But what is it? It's common stuff. Baptism is water. It's not special. It's water. Lord's Supper is bread and wine. It's common stuff. And yet, sacraments, sacraments are the instruments which God's supernatural grace comes into your life when dedicated to God. And this dude, Bill Lane, has the audacity to go, um, when you show hospitality, there is a sense in which when dedicated to God, God himself works supernaturally in and through that. Does anybody else just think that's like, well, well, I, when I read this, it took, it, it, it took me back. Because when I read this, I thought about this. I'm like, how many of us just go out for coffee to listen to a friend who's struggling? And we think, it's coffee. It's common. How many of us just go, you know what? I, 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 I live in an apartment building, and I somebody invited somebody to come on over, and I just prepared a meal for them because I'm just friendly like that. I'm, I mean, it's common. It's dinner. How many of us go, I just sat with a friend of mine at the hospital while they were waiting for their tests, like Angela Zerg did for my wife, but he just drove her and just talked to her. How many of us just think that's common? But what the author of Hebrews is saying is this. When dedicated to God, God's supernatural power and his grace comes flooding into their lives. It's just coffee. I'm not a spiritual director, though, Peter. God says, it's not about that in you. But I'm not a counselor. I'm not a professional counselor. God says, no. You know, coffee, meal, sitting, holding someone's hand, cup of cold water, hospitality. God goes, dedicated to that. The power of my grace comes flooding into their lives. Do you realize, 
Do you realize what that would do to our regular, ordinary human inter- exchanges if we recognize that? And you know, here's the thing I found. Somebody else, somebody else, to help me out here. You know what I found? It said, when you train yourself in this discipline, you actually get better at it. Does anybody agree? When you train, here's what I mean. Remember we asked this question a while back? How do you observe? Are you willing to observe? When you are the kind of person, when you are the kind of person who takes your head out of, you know, uh, when you are the kind of person, I'm sorry. When you're the kind of person who is no longer, or your head isn't in the clouds, and you're, you're no longer the person that's just kind of always thinking about myself. When you're the kind of person that actually, actually starts walking around with your head up and looking at people. When you're actually not just self-absorbed and engrossed in just your issues. When you walk around looking at other people. Here's what you, you find yourself getting better at noticing people who are lonely. You get yourself better. I'm telling you, ask anybody who has done this. You get better at noticing people that seem confused. You get better at noticing people that seem hurting. You actually start noticing who's coming by themselves. You actually start noticing the single moms in this church. You actually start noticing people. And as I said before, in that self-forgetfulness, our own soul flourishes. Here's what I mean by that. There's a part of your soul that shrivels and dies when you live for you and yourself. Because if you live for you and yourself, your world is this big. And so here's the thing you find. You get better at this when you start looking to see who can I bring into God's hospitality? Who needs to be taken out just to be listened to? When you start looking at it, and here's the other amazing thing. When you do that, you don't realize the impact that it's having on them until way later. Does anybody else know what I'm talking about? You don't realize it. It's months or years later, somebody will come and go, I remember that conversation you had with me. What conversation? Remember we sat at Dunkin' Donuts and we shared a coffee and we shared a couple munchkins. You remember that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know that I was going through one of the most difficult parts of my life? Do you realize? Do you realize? Do you realize the kind of impact that you could have through common stuff as a vehicle and channel of God's hospitality, but you don't even realize the kind of impact that you are making now. And here's the other thing. And because of you, they've gone out and they've done this to others. Means your hospitality is multiplied. Your hospitality is multiplied. And other people all over the world, all over this city, because of your hospitality, there's a sacramental quality a sacramental quality where God works through your hospitality. Here's what we're going to do next two weeks. We're going to really dig in and ask the questions of like, what did this hospitality code really mean for them, for the New Testament times, and for us? In order to do that, I need to give you a background. I need to give you background. And then today we're going to end with one brief, very practical aspect of hospitality, and then we'll look at more next week. There are four components. There are four components to hospitality. And this is the reason why this is so important. I thought about this, and some of you guys said hotels and stuff. Hospitality at the time, at the time, was literally matter, sometimes a matter of life or death. Here's the reason why. When you traveled, you didn't have chains. You didn't have franchises. There were no Hyatts and Hiltons and Motel 8s and Holiday Inns and Holiday Inn Express and all this other kind of stuff. Why? People just didn't travel as much because it was dangerous and super, super, super expensive. Secondly, people didn't move around like you and I do. How many of us, when we travel to other cities, we go, hey, I'm coming to your city. Oh, cool, because you know a lot of people who've moved to other cities, so you get to crash for free, right? But back then, again, people just didn't move around as much. And so literally, hospitality, hospitality. So by the way, the Greek god Zeus, sometimes referred to as Xenoi Zeus, means God of hospitality. This is how important hospitality was. And there were four components of hospitality. First one was invitation. What do I mean? You didn't just go to town and go, does Peter Hong live here? Well, yes, he does. Can I stay? At-? It doesn't work like that, okay? Here's what happened. You were a traveler, weary traveler, and you would go to the city of town, and you would stand outside the city gate or a well. You would just stand there. What would you do? I don't know what you did. You would just kind of stand and wait. And it was customary that people in that town would go to the city gate, outside the city gate, or a well, and go, are, are, you, are you in need of hospitality? They would say, yes, I'm a traveler from so-and-so, and I am new here. May I come? And that person would invite you into the city, 
into their home. Secondly, there was the, <laughs> the screening. You didn't want some random person who wanted to actually destroy your city to come inside your city. So you met them and go, hey, are you looking for a place? And then you would enter. You would screen them and go, where are you from? I'm from this or so. And what's your name? Well, what do you do for a living? And you would sort of screen them. There would be the interview process. And after the interview process, if things were A-OK. And by the way, if you were a smart traveler, this is the reason why. You would travel with documents that said, so-and-so sent me. Or I'm related to so-and-so. The third component was provision. So you've been screened, you brought in, okay? And if you were a host, you washed their feet. You provided a gigantic meal in that culture. And then you get them rest. Why? Because it's hard traveling, weary, okay? And then the fourth part, and you will love this, departure. You left the next day. You left the next day. You didn't stay for more than two nights, that's why hospitality worked back then, okay? You didn't overcome your, you didn't overstay your welcome. I thought you guys would maybe find that funny. Maybe it's not so funny. Because I hear, I hear married couples all the time complain to me about my mother-in-law staying seven days, and I don't like it. And I'd be like, tell her the hospitality code of the Old Testament, and she'll do it better. Two days, boom, you were gone. Invitation, screening, provision, departure. Then God comes along. And he says to his nation Israel, this counterculture community, that's how everyone else in your culture does hospitality. Here's how you do it. Deuteronomy. I could spend a month on this because this is so weighty and so huge. God says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great and mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the stranger by giving him food and clothing. Memorize this verse 19. So show your love for the stranger for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. What God does here is he takes the concept of hospitality known in that culture and he completely revolutionizes it and takes it beyond anything that people at the time had ever known. Why? And next week, by the way, we're going to dig more into specifically what does it mean for us to care for the stranger that is the refugee, the immigrant. I'm going to have Sarah Ardema, who works for World Relief, who is going to share with us, church, practically how we, could, how we could respond to the Syrian refugee crisis. You need to be here. You need to be here for that because that's part of what this verse is saying. But here's how God comes and he radically revolutionizes. Everybody, please look up. You need to get this. And why you and I need to be community of radical hospitality. He says this. I'm going to give you a whole new basis for why you need to be radically hospitable. He says, because you were once them. Israel, people of God, you were once them. You were once strangers and foreigners in Egypt and bondage to slavery and oppression. Israel, you were not just strangers, but you were also wanderers in the wilderness. God is saying, do you remember how you wandered in the wilderness? And God's going, do you remember how I fed you? Do you remember how I clothed you? Do you remember how I took care of you? And if it had not been for my life-giving provision, you'd be dead. Do you remember that? And God's saying, you were once them. But you've been saved through my gracious, life-giving hospitality. Church, family, do you ever pause for a moment and think about, well, actually, you know who does it for us, is the Apostle Paul picks this up, and he's writing to New Testament Christians, and he is thinking of this imagery, and you and me, when he says this, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ Jesus. And he's saying, if you have been the recipient of life-giving grace, hospitality, life-giving salvation by faith alone, life-giving hospitality by a Savior God, then God says, should you not be hospitable to the strangers among you? Paul's saying, you remember what it was like to be alienated from God, to be outside the promise. Do you remember what it was like to be strange? And Paul is saying, if you have encountered grace deep in your heart, then you too are radically open. And I'm going to hammer away this again and again because you're sitting there going, well, I don't know what strangers are. Strangers are people who are unlike you. And that's racially, culturally, religiously, politically, in every way. Biblical community is one in which you hold firm to your convictions, never compromise your biblical convictions, but at the same time, you love someone who is different from you and you welcome them in. Amen, church. We don't do one or the other. We don't sacrifice our convictions. We don't go, it doesn't matter. We never do that. But we also learn what it means to radically love someone who is the other. And if you've encountered the gospel of grace, there is no possible way that you would stand at the foot of the cross and you go, you could come, you could come, you could come. If you do that, you don't understand grace. Anybody who's encountered grace kneels at the foot of the cross and says the floor of front of the cross is leveled. The ground is leveled. Anyone is welcome. Do you know what this means? Let me just bring it home, okay? What this means is this. What this means is that in the Greco-Roman world, you have to understand, it's so similar to our world. The Greco-Roman world, everything revolved around the patronage system. What do I mean? And, and by the way, when I say this, you're going to sit there and go, hmm, that sounds eerily similar to my culture because it is. In the Greco-Roman culture, you invited people into your home, but these were people whose homes you wanted to get into. The whole system of doing things for people was so that they owed you. So you would do things for people who would then open doors for you, who would then help you network, who would then help you get you into social circles you wanted to get into. So in the patronism, check this out, the idea of doing something for somebody that could do nothing for you was outrageous. And God says, in the biblical community, you especially do things for people that could do nothing for you. You especially go out of your way and seek out people, the vulnerable, the weak, who had no capacity to do anything for you. Can I, since the Pope has been in America, did you know that, by the way? He's in America, apparently. I love the man, but one of the things he said that struck me, he's literally quoting this. He says, the world will change when we begin to care for those who cannot repay us. The world will change. And we care for love people who cannot repay us. Do you realize how foreign this is to your network, your social, your, your, what? Why would I do that? They got nothing. And God says in the biblical community, you're hospital to people who can't repay you. You take in people that have nothing to offer you. You love those for whom Nothing could be gained in return. To which you and I go, somebody did that once. In a biblical community, we don't pursue relationships based on what's in it for us. Can I say it again? We don't pursue relationships based on what's in it for us. See, see, our folks just kind of taking it in. Is that what this is? 
in a biblical community. Let me put it this way. If you were looking for angels, you won't find God. Oh, she's an angel. I think I'll get to know her. Oh, he's an angel. I think in a biblical community, it's only when you go looking for strangers will you find angels. In a biblical community, it's when you go be willing to help people who can't help you that ironically, you realize you will get all the help that you need. Hospitable. Welcoming the stranger. Uh, we're going to talk next week about like what all of this means, but and this might sound like a kind of a unique way to end the service, but one of the things we're going to literally, Pastor Caitlin, Pastor Michael, start doing differently from this point on is how we do greeting. Do you know why? Do you know what it is that we do when Carlton goes, all right, everybody, turn to your neighbor and say, do you, do you know what that is, by the way? Do you know what that is? Do you realize that in the Christian tradition, there's something called passing the peace? Passing the peace. You know what that was? Believers would gather together, and they would welcome somebody, and they would turn and go, May the peace of the Lord be with you. And the other person would go, and with you. May the peace of the Lord be with you and also with you. 2,000 years. 2000, how cool is this? 2,000 years, whenever believers would get together, they would turn to their neighbors, get out of their seats, get out of their pews, get out of their what straw, mat, whatever. They would get out, leave the comforts of their environment. You better be listening right now. You better get, get out of your mirror. And they would go, and they would look at people in the eye and go, may the peace of the Lord be with you. And the other person then go, that was awkward. What the heck was that? They would look at them and go, and peace of the Lord be with you. Where did you get that from? Jesus, after the resurrection, comes to his disciples, and the first words out of his mouth, his betrayers, traitors, was what? Peace be with you. What? Every time Paul writes a letter in the New Testament, the first salutation greeting is what? Grace and peace. Do you realize, Carlton, come here, come here, come here. Do you realize, do you realize what the church does for 2,000 years? Do you realize what it is that we're doing? On a Sunday morning when we gather, I go, CC, may the peace of the Lord be with you. When that happened, do you know what he was doing? Do you know what I'm doing? I am saying to my brother, listen, CC, I was a stranger. And God extended his hospitality to me. And he welcomed me into this family. I don't want you to be a stranger. I want you to know and experience the hospitality that was extended to me. That's what we do. That's what we do. Christians have been doing this for 2,000 years and saying, he welcomed me in and I want to welcome you. What would happen to this church? Thank you, brother. We'll stay up here. We're done. What would happen to this church? What would happen to this church? What would happen to this church if those moments, if those moments on a Sunday morning, particularly, particularly without even realizing it, that person is the other. That person might not be a Christian. That person is a different race, ethnicity. That person has different values. What would happen if that person truly because of the sacramental quality. Experience the peace of God. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? You realize that there are strangers among us. But I see them every week, but you don't know them. We're strangers to you. Do you realize?
as I give you a moment to pray and listen to the Holy Spirit. Hear the words of Paul. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off, you have been brought near. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. New community, can this be a place where you don't have to prove yourself before people are warm to you? New community, knowing that you and I didn't have to prove ourselves before God invited us and we didn't have to prove our worth to God. In a world where people size you up, relationships are transactional. In a world where everybody says, prove yourself, prove your worth, man. Can this be a place where we're radically different? What's the Spirit saying? What's the Spirit saying? Jesus. Church, everybody, everybody look up here. Stand up. We're going to do this. <laughs> you knew it was coming. Everybody stand up. I'm going to pray for offering in a moment. Worship team's going to lead us in the final song. But I want us to start practicing passing the peace. So here's what I want you to do. You don't have to move all the way around. Turn around. Go through the aisles. Look people in the eye and say, may the peace of the Lord be with you. And then you say, and also with you. Take a moment to do that and then I pray. Peace of the Lord be with you and also with you. Peace of the Lord be with you and also with you. May the peace of the Lord be with you and also. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Ah, it's beautiful. Ah, it's beautiful. <laughs> it's beautiful. church family all right worship team please come on up father father we are grateful 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 We are grateful. I don't know what else there is to say. And as we'll talk more about next week, Father, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to feel. 
Help us to be a church of Philadelphia. Philosini, help us to be a radical, radical, hospitable community. We give our tithes and our offering to you. For you have been gracious, generous, hospitable to us. Use this for the advancement of your kingdom. You are good and your love endures forever.